Whether it's dismantling the fossil fuel industry, creating a solar-powered utopia, or simply desiring to hear more birds in the sky than planes, this is Idealistically, a podcast where we discuss what we would idealistically want in an ideal world. Hello and welcome back to Idealistically, the podcast where I, Tomea Gregory, an artist and climate justice activist, try to inspire you to radically imagine a better world and a better future and hope to inspire you into action along the way. At the time that I'm recording this, in most parts of the UK, there is a new energy price cap that has been announced. So I wanted to touch briefly on the cost of living crisis, which in itself, the name is horrific because obviously if you're unable to keep up with the costs of living, it means a risk to your life. And it's a deeply serious issue. However, I think it's also important to give a reminder to the fact that this isn't just a cost of living crisis, but it's also a cost of a lack of imagination. It's a cost of our governments and our leaders and industries and the systems that we live in lacking imagination and the will and drive to question, you know, what if we do something differently? What if we decide actually we're not going to stand for this? What if we put people first? Those questions that enable us to imagine and step outside of what is the current reality. That is the price that we are paying for. You know, we're paying for the fact that the people who are in charge do not want to go there, do not want to ask those questions. And when I think of it in that way, I mean, I'm already extremely angry. The price of energy is just going to skyrocket. But when I think of it through that lens, I get even more angry because the solutions are there. (laughs) There are opposing governments and opposing parties and other systems that exist that can ensure this doesn't happen. It's a choice. These are choices that our government is making to make lives harder for everyone other than those who are going to greatly profit from it. I mean, yeah, you can tell I'm angry about this, but I also wanted to take the opportunity to point in the direction of campaigns that are trying to, you know, lift up people who are going to be most impacted. There's Don't Pay UK who are trying to get 1 million people to stop paying their energy bills, their direct debits. There is Warm This Winter, which is kind of like a coalition of groups and people who want to ensure that people are warm and fed this winter whether it is through ensuring that the energy prices don't continue rising or whether it is through things like home insulation. Um, There are so many different solutions and that's a great campaign to follow. There's also Enough is Enough. There's also your local food banks. There's also your local mutual aid groups. Like if you are feeling angry about this, there are things that we can do. And it all starts with finding the people who have already started on the work so that you don't have to start from nothing. Honestly, I think the more that I think about it, the more I think... If I am okay this winter, like I want to be able to use the resources that I do have to make sure other people are okay this winter. I don't know what that looks like yet, but it's on my mind a lot. Like what role can I play within this? But I really do believe it lies in imagination. You know, we have to show the people who are supposed to represent and protect us that we will not allow them to accept this as normal and accept this as okay. I had a letter from my energy supplier telling me, you know, the price of my electric was going up. And then at the end of the letter, it had resources for mental health services. And I was like, 
we live in this vast, endless, beautiful universe, and yet energy, which I believe should be a human right, is coming with the cost of our mental health. Like, that should never be something someone has to read at the end of a letter. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to accept that. I want to imagine a better world. I know we deserve a better world. That leads us into today's conversation, obviously. We're going to start imagining. You can tell I'm really fired up about something when the intro is slightly longer than usual. Let's introduce today's guest and then let's do something about it. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Thanks so much for joining me. Would you like to just first of all introduce yourself and what you do to everyone listening? Hi everyone, I'm Francisca Rocky. I'm a geographer, campaigner and writer from London and I'm also based in York because I study there and I recently joined Global Action Plan as a Climate Justice Trustee. That is very cool. I've worked with Global Action Plan before for an illustration and they, they're doing good work so very good news congratulations (laughs) at the top of the show during season two we have a quick fire question from together band who are supporting this season what un sustainable development goal aligns best with you and your work so i'd say goal 16 or goal four um goal 16 is about peace justice and strong institutions and I think in my own work and the work I get involved in they are well me as an individual and as a group with black geographers we are working for some sort of justice and creating stronger more inclusive better institutions um and I guess creating peace between spaces that have been very white European dominated Eurocentric um and quite harmful to marginalized people and creating a peace some sort of peace whatever peace in that sense sort of looks like in within institutions and within our discipline but I also say goal four because goal four looks at ensuring that we have an inclusive and equitable (laughs) quality education and I guess the work that we do at Black Geographers for example is working to get some quality education that actually educates people on the truth because they can't people can't make a difference they can't be better if they're being told half the truth or they're being told a version of the truth that is so far from what the truth actually is and how we actually got to where we are and I think if people are clouded by I guess um government influenced curriculums and biases and an agenda they don't get the full picture of what's been happening or how we arrived at where we are now how can we then expect them to be people who come up with solutions that are inclusive or go out into the workforce um I hate that term (laughs) and are better people better workers better employees better leaders better future politicians etc everyone who i've asked so far has said like the climate action goal so i'm glad that you have a nice interpretation of some others so that was our quick fire question i like to get a sense of where my guests are in terms of like hopefulness and how you feel about envisioning an ideal world so where on the kind of spectrum of like finding it easy or finding it difficult are you kind of finding yourself at the moment? I think I personally find it quite easy to imagine 
better because <laughs> I don't know if that makes me delusional or I just one of my friends says it all the time I'll she's not that in it's not that she's not into it but she's kind of learning on her own journey and finding out and learning more about climate justice etc and I'll always be like oh xyz happened go on a rant about it but I'm like it's fine this will happen in the future or once people realize xyz they'll be able to link xyz and I think having people in your life that maybe aren't as involved in climate action and whatnot helps with that imagining the future because it's like this person doesn't know a lot and through your friendship with them or through your daily interactions with them they come to le- learn a lot more and it's it that that gives you that sense of hope but also living in the delusion or living in a utopian within your mind I think is good as well because you're not just imagining what we live in now and the systems we live in now or the inequality we live with now you're actually thinking this is not the best that it can be it can be better and we see that with past movements past campaigns um for example people who campaigned many years ago for women's rights at the time that probably didn't seem possible it probably didn't seem possible that a woman be able to buy her own property or have a bank account or have the right to vote but it did become a reality and I think we should always look back to what's been done and think we are essentially those people a hundred years on and a hundred years from now the people then will be living in the, the realities that we created and then hopefully they'll create new realities for whatever world they live in and the needs that they need at the time. That's actually, that's really inspiring to think that we're the people that those people were. <laughs> it's a nice way of putting it. And also um, the point about people who kind of aren't at the same point as you might be and how we kind of have to give them, you know, little bits of hope here and there because otherwise we're going to like put them off before they've even really got started so yeah that's definitely an important thing to remember as someone who might find it a bit easier to envision an ideal world what would you say if you close your eyes and start imagining what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of that future Hmm, this is a really good question I think I'm going to go on the topic of education and certain how related this is to climate action and justice but I guess it is related and I think I'd go with abolition of privatized education that would be my future that I'd like to imagine in the next less than 50 years ideally because I remember seeing well for many reasons many of like the obvious reasons but I remember seeing this tweet by um at geography underscore paul on twitter maybe last month or two months ago or something and they were saying how people who teach in or send their children to private schools drive inequality which is bad for everyone across society and we all need to make it socially unacceptable for engines of inequality to exist and then there was loads of kind of replies to it that were people defending their right to send people to private schools and people defending them as institutions but I think they weren't understanding what he was saying in that they are engines of inequalities and they exist in loads of different spaces so even when we talk about fast fashion for example um, you may not think your purchase is feeding into something but that's what allows that engine to keep working and back to the education tweet I quote tweeted it and was saying that I wanted people to start imagining systems beyond the systems that we're currently living in 
because, you know, someone getting into a private school or getting into a very colonial or institution that's caused past harm may be great. It may, you know, a feel good story for people. But what do these institutions, what have these institutions historically done? What are they still doing? Because I hate that sometimes we look at things and we think, oh, this is what they've been doing in the past, but this is what they're still doing. People are still having these experiences now and we can't just, oh, one person's gone into it that we really like. They're going to change the system because that's putting a lot of pressure on one person rather than if we all resist, we can send a message to these people that we don't want them. <laughs> and this shouldn't be the way that education is. And everybody should be entitled to being able to learn the truth and receive quality education that's not influenced by the state. Right now, I don't really know how that would look um, because obviously people are at different levels within these different sections of education. But I think that would be my current thing, would be an education where it's inclusive, everyone is blended together. It doesn't necessarily matter if you're at a different level because there would be that element of care that I think is lacking from educational institutions and that element of you're here to learn rather than you're here to produce a worker. That's definitely a big one. Like literally our whole school system is literally from start to finish built to produce employment. And it's just, yeah. And I guess like when you were speaking about that, the the, the thought that came to my mind first was like, imagine if all the money that was being put into private education was spread out evenly across all education. And I say that out of transparency, like I went through private education for a period of my life and then was home educated. And it's just, yeah, imagine if that was the possibility and imagine if we did have care and love going into education at all levels, it would transform so much of our lives because it's such like an important part of becoming a human. Mm -hmm. And I think we're always learning as well. It's such a massive part of our lives, whether we realise it or not. So outside of education, we're reading books, we're going to talks, we're going to workshops, going to events, we're listening to podcasts. All of these things are forms of education, even if we don't recognise them as forms of education. If you think of it that way. Yeah, I definitely relate to that as someone who was home educated. Like the period of time where I was at, at home, I was just learning what I wanted to learn. And I, I wasn't using like a curriculum and stuff. I was using resources that people were sharing that weren't quote unquote education so yeah definitely a good point and something we haven't discussed yet on the podcast so I like a new new idea and a new thought so taking that and thinking about things that do exist now that maybe we wouldn't want to get rid of what is something that you'd want to keep and bring forward into a better, maybe, utopia? Does this have to be a serious answer? <laughs> it can literally be anything, anything that comes to mind. I would bring Animal Crossing and Kirby. That is what I'm bringing. Those two games, I'm bringing them with me. They bring me a lot of joy. Yesterday, I was speaking to one of my friends, and <laughs> in the background, I was playing Kirby, and I was like, oh no, I've just died, I can't believe it. And she thought something serious was happening to me it wasn't I was just you know get, getting into my game so that's what I would bring because those things bring me a lot of joy and 
it's very much a form of escapism and um, satisfying my inner child and just something that's mine. That's fun. It's I don't do it for educational purposes. Allows me to have space to just breathe and yeah, be a child, play, enjoy myself, get angry at myself dying because I've fallen off a platform. <laughs> <laughs> and also watching, I really enjoy playing, but watching YouTube videos of other people playing. I'll take them with me as well. Some gamer YouTubers, I'll take them with me. So I don't know why. I find it so satisfying watching another person play a game. I'm taking that with me. What is it, do you think, about like Animal Crossing specifically that is so joyful? Because I have seen like my nephews play it. And I don't know, I'd like to get your <laughs> your thought on like what is it specifically? <laughs> so you have this cute little, I don't know if it's a bear. I think it might be a bear. It's some sort of animal. And you can dress it up, you can change its hair colour, you can change its skin colour, so you can be like orange or purple or green. Um, You can dress up for different seasons. So currently, I think I'm on the Southern Hemisphere. I feel like I should know these things as a geographer. (laughs) And it's currently winter on my island. So even though it's going into summer in my reality, in my game, I get to still wear knitwear, nice hats. There's like a little shop <laughs> where you can take your clothes, tokens that you get from this other little animal that comes and asks you for fashion advice and dress yourself up. It's just kind of imagining your ideal world in a virtual world and you get to play out all of these things that you want on your world. So I have a garden, I have an allotment, I have, I'm growing pumpkins, which are probably going to be dead now because it's winter. Um, I have wheat, I have tomatoes, and then I have a little camping site and an orchard and a museum. And I've always wanted to work in a museum and little lakes and you can go swimming and diving. It, it's just so wholesome. I think that's what it is. It's wholesome. It's not a vi- It's not a violent game whatsoever. Though you can get stung by wasps and (laughs) I think they're tarantulas and scorpions are in the game. Um, But aside from that, it's generally peaceful. Like there's no, your islanders are generally nice to you, aside from one of them who's now got kicked off my island. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I don't think there's many games like that where it's just wholesome. There's no motive for you to be harmful in the game or to be harmful to others in the game. I don't know if you've seen the hashtag on Twitter for ACNH, um, so Animal Crossing New Horizons. People always share their designs that they've made, the islands they've created, the lakes that they've created. And that just adds to the wholesomeness. I think the fandom, I guess, um, of people who play it are also lovely people who like creating. They're very creative people. And yeah, I think that's actually the basis of it. It's creative. It allows you to practice your creativity in a non-judgmental space and learn from other people, visit other people's islands, see their creativity, be inspired, come back to your own island, implement some of the things that you've taken inspiration from. And you can meet people from other countries as well by going to their island. And it's always cool to see how culture influences how people play the game as well. and whatever hemisphere they're playing in because you can pick that is why I love the game honestly that is yeah that's very wholesome 
I also, I actually mentioned this at the beginning of an episode a while ago. And basically at the time of recording, very recently, I took part in a children's festival locally to me. And I got the kids to answer the question of in the future, I want to see. And a couple of them wrote down Pokemon. (laughs) So I feel like you're very much on the same wavelength of like just really wholesome things that like keep us sane in in this world. I like that a lot. And I promise this is not this is not sponsored by Animal Crossing. Neither of us have been indoors. I like that you took something virtual and kind of like, yeah, like you say, like utopic and kind of just fantasy. But are there any places or events or I don't know groups of people that kind of when you're in that space transport you kind of into your ideal world already so something that is currently happening in reality that when you're experiencing whatever this is you're like ah this is the feeling I want to hold on to I've got two ideas in my mind but I'm gonna go with the one I'm gonna go with the place that I volunteer at on a weekly basis so every week I volunteer at the Nick's, the Nick's Nature Reserve and Environment Centre in York. And for two hours, we do practical conservation sessions with other student action volunteers. And on other days, there'll be members of the general public. So usually it's elderly people. Typically, the elderly people are people who are living alone or widowed or retired looking for things to do I don't think you get get very many young people going though aside from in the Wednesday student session anyway that's aside from the point and every week we do some sort of practical conservation work around the reserve but also around York and you'd never feel like you're making well I guess when you're doing the work you don't feel like you're making a difference and then you go back to it and you're like wow even people who use the nature reserve on a day-to-day basis just for going for a walk or riding their bike or trying to get through to get to another area they may not see the work that you're doing each week that contributes to them having that space but creating that space selfishly for other people I'd say is a feeling I want everyone to experience in doing something that seems minuscule it doesn't seem like you're doing something it doesn't seem like you're doing big climate action but you are because that's a space that people need people need green spaces people need yeah spaces to breathe spaces to get clean air spaces for um biodiversity to thrive and every week I come back and I explain to my friends oh we did this today or I used to post videos on Instagram what we did each week and now I just always forget to do that but I can't explain the feeling I get when I come back from there And I've had, even if I've had a bad day or a bad morning before I go, when I go there, I'm like, wow, (laughs) my life has no troubles. I'm not stressed. This is great. And even though you're exhausted when you come back, you've done a really good thing today. And you've been consistently doing it every week and you're surrounded by other people who share that same love, enjoyment and passion for that type of work. And yeah it can be strenuous sometimes oh sorry just hit my block and it can be repetitive sometimes but it does make a difference that's so nice and I think if we had more roles for people to get involved in their local environment and community in that way like the amount of pride that people would have for the spaces that they live in would go through the roof and that is so beneficial to the places that we live so I love that example 
and definitely does make a difference for sure and especially like just we all know how important having like a park to go to can be in our everyday lives so that's very nice and well done you for keeping up with that thank you it'd be great to kind of rewind a little bit and understand where your influence for building a better world comes from. So would you like to explain what Black Geographers is and why it started and where it all began? And then I'll ask a little follow-up question to that. So Black Geographers formed as a collective of Black Geography students and graduates who all have first-hand experience of the many barriers that prevent Black students from studying geography and how isolating the field can be even after you've navigated these barriers such as financial barriers or issues when you try to access employment within the environment sector for example and we work collaboratively with the aim of not only encouraging more black students to study geography but to also begin transforming geography as a discipline to make it more engaging and inclusive at every level of education so we provide resources, mentoring, networking, internship opportunities to students and to academics that we work with. And we also work with educational institutions and geography organisations to improve representation, accountability and access across schools and universities. And if we take it back, how that started, on April the 23rd, 2020, I met Eden, who is a black geographer at University of Reading at the time. And well, I think we met a few days or weeks before that, you know, when that time in we're still in the pandemic, but that time in the first lockdown where there was those virtual events and online coaching and all that sort of stuff. So that's how we met on Twitter. And then I was like, oh, you're a black geographer. That's really cool. I've never met another person that studies geography at university that's black. And we got talking and we spoke about decolonizing the curriculum, showing what careers there are in geography that are not teaching, increasing uptake at A-level and GCSE. Then from there, that tweet turned into an Instagram page, that Instagram page turned into a Facebook page, that Facebook page turned into a LinkedIn page, that LinkedIn page turned into a website. And it grew into something that is a lot bigger than I had ever imagined. And something that has a lot more of a bigger impact than I ever imagined as well and it's not that I didn't want it to have an impact or I didn't think it was possible for there to be change I just didn't expect I guess that people who are not even in my vicinity have never heard of me before would be so willing to volunteer their time to making this a reality and growing it to this extent while we're all volunteering our time because sometimes sometimes I think things that are, are important to you feel like oh they're only important to me no one else really cares or no one else is willing to give up their time to this and I very much felt like that I very much felt like that in the beginning and it was quite emotional actually connecting with loads of people virtually during what was such a heavy time for the black community as well and still two years on those people still support us so show us so much love we work even more collaboratively than we did before with people further afield and yeah. Thank you for explaining that. I realise I should have asked this at the top of the question to give people a better understanding. 
What actually is geography as a whole? Geography is, now I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it without butchering what people do. <laughs> I'm like, I just don't want people to only think of like geography they experienced in school. Yeah. Like I want to get a whole, like a more holistic view of it. So as a basic, like a baseline definition, geography studies physical features of the earth, its atmosphere, human activity, and how these things affect populations, resources, political and economic activities. And then breaking that down, to generalise, there's human geography, but there's also, and there's physical geography. So the physical geography side would be those people that look at the earth and the atmosphere and yeah like atmospheric sciences or geomorphology so like river systems and that sort of thing and then human geographers will be the people that look at culture tourism urbanization politics and that sort of thing and i would say i sit in the a physical geographer who has human tendencies and <laughs> i'd say i'm a i guess i'm a naturally i think i'm more inclined to human geography because it aligns with what my reality is in the world as a black woman culture race gentrification in your local area sustainable development goals all that sort of thing but then physical is what I actually really enjoy and it's really difficult I think to find when you're not someone who so when I think about nature and nature engagement it's always something that I've done throughout my life but it's never been sort of a oh, you're going outside to do X, Y, Z, to see the great outdoors. It's just that you're going outside to help your mum do the garden or we're going on a trip somewhere and mum's going to get us to do, get like little nets and our buckets and we're going to fill it up with sand or water and see what's in it, that sort of thing. And we did that a lot when I was growing up, but it was never a we're engaging with nature it was just this is a normal thing to do yeah so yeah that's why I kind of have difficulty sometimes with physical geography it's the ways that you in the way that you have to place yourself in it rather than it being something that we're all placed in and I think as a discipline it encourages the very things that we want in terms of climate action and solutions systems thinking is a massive thing about geography in geography so if you did a GCSE for example or even a level there's that thing of making a point and saying, so and what does that do? And then making, you know, so from that, what does that do? And so from that, what does that do? So even from the basic level, if it, even if people aren't saying it, systems thinking, that is what you're thinking, thinking about the impact that one thing has on another thing and what that other thing has on another thing. And that's encouraged throughout both sides of the discipline. There's, there's loads of sub-disciplines within the both sides. And it gets you thinking about adaptation, mitigation, prevention, and imagining what a future could look like should policy, politics, and environmental degradation not be a thing. Even if you're not actively encouraged to think those things, depending on who your teacher is or your lecturer is, that is what the discipline naturally does when you are reading various academic papers or looking at case studies, because you're encouraged to look at policy, to look at laws, to look at campaigns, interrogate their success and what attempts there have been to derail people from getting to their end goal yeah that's why I think geography is great <laughs> <laughs> that was a good breakdown and I'm very glad I asked that question less cars more bikes left before Mars happy
representation. In terms of you were mentioning like the impact that black geographers has had kind of on that note, what kind of role do you think it is playing in better world making? It might be quite an obvious answer, but I'd love to hear it from you. I would say that it's placemaking. Placemaking is usually associated with transforming public spaces. And a lot of the work that we do is done in virtual spaces. But I think when you think of what placemaking is and the definition of placemaking, I'd say that is what we're doing just in a different type of public space. So placemaking is creating spaces that focus on transforming public spaces and strengthening connections between people and these places. And I guess that's what we do. We are looking at transforming a form of a space and trying to strengthen the connection between people, black people and other marginalised people within the discipline and underrepresented people, sorry, within the discipline. And spaces that have been historically white, often cis white male dominated and changing what the face of that space looks like and what is produced from that space and how we can make that space better by including people who have been excluded from the space, highlighting the work that's been done by people um, who who have been excluded or are excluded, to put it blankly. And very much our work is centred on people and what their needs are and what they aspire to do within the environment sector, within geography, within geosciences, and what our personal desires and visions are for the future of the discipline. And taking it away from being something that's been extractive and lacked care and very individualistic to something that's centred around community. Community between us, people who live in the global north and people who live in the global south, sharing of scholarship, appreciation of scholarship that isn't um, Western-centred, Europe-centred, and just creating a piece of love kind of discipline. I mean, that works perfectly with what you said earlier about goal 16 and wanting to work with, you know, thinking about peace. In terms of like your experience, not only with black geographers, but also like within geography as a whole, how do you think it has shaped how you imagine a better world in the future? You know, like we said, when you close your eyes, how do you think it's influenced how you see that? I would actually say it's made me more hopeful and going back to what you asked earlier about envisioning a better world a lot of what I learn helps me to envision that better world so something that I have an interest in is geographies of wildlife and there's different so I did this module in second year called geographical thought shout out to the lecturer Pauline love her and we talked about decolonial scholarship and what else did we talk about? We spoke about Indigenous scholarship as well. And through that, I found so many amazing academic papers, books that have been written by past or current living academics on community work and collaboration between people. And it was just so nice to see that something that I envision working with people, not subscribing to helicopter science, so where you go and extract data from a place and then just leave, and there's no interaction between locals or Indigenous people and the researcher. 
that people are doing that and it is happening. And though a lot of the time that work is not what's pushed by rankings or ratings or whatever, or sometimes people say that it's not, this is genuinely what some people have said in academic reviews and things, that it's not academically rigorous or a good research method, which I think is BS. It's nice to see that there are people who are resisting what the discipline has always always even encouraged and through their work want better and me reading that helps with that feeling of okay there are people who've been in this space for 30 40 years who have been doing this one how can I make space for those people in my work so it may seem like a small act but you're helping them to create that more radical geography by using their work, by citing their work, by talking about their work. Um, also, how can you adopt those sort of practices, not just in your academic work, but in your day-to-day life? So sharing people's work who you may not, who are not as well-known in spaces that they may not ever see or they may have never been in. It may seem like such a small thing, but it does have an impact. And I think that's another element of it as well, is realising that there are loads of small things happening I say small, I feel sound as though I'm minimising them. I'm not minimising them at all. I just mean like the grand scheme of the world, I guess. How loads of little actions, small actions happen day to day that we don't see, but they make an impact on somebody. So I'm one person that's read that. I'm one person that's been influenced by that. How can I go and tell another person or how can I include that in my work and influence another person? Even influencing the person that's marking the work as well so that they include it in their modules in the future or encourage students to look at this person's work that they might not have ever heard of because the reading lists are pretty dire, <laughs> to say the least. But yeah, that is how I would say it influences me thinking about the future and imagining better. Yeah, that's very hopeful. I think it's that proof that stuff actually works and being able to share that proof with as many people as possible it's something that I think we definitely like lack within movements is like actually showing people hey this thing is bad but this works over here and we need to like highlight it and shine a light for sure we're on to the fun question (laughs) I mean I think they're all fun in their own way but the fun question that I love asking in your ideal world what would you invent if you had no limitations no one to tell you you can't do it what would you invent Ooh, this is actually a really good one you know when you've had so many ideas in the past and suddenly you ask something and you're like <laughs> the ideas are all gone <laughs> never had a thought before and what is something that you've wanted i'm trying to think of things i like doing every day or like frequently I think I'll make mine travel based because that's something that I really enjoy doing I don't know how you could make this happen but I guess your memory does this though but then your memory sometimes fails you somehow I want to capture the experiences of learning about someone else's culture when you're abroad into like a little memory bubble that you can revisit at any time it transports you right to that moment and you can experience that joyful feeling you get when you're learning something new and you're happy and you've just got fresh off a train or plane and that warm feeling you get from the sun I want that quantified into like some sort of bubble maybe a perfume (laughs) 
or 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 a candle. Ooh, I was like, that kind of sounds like time travel. But then you went to like the perfume route, and I was like, is this some kind of like hallucinogen? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. That's a new one. We've never heard that before. <laughs> I'm gonna go with that. Because I love that feeling of when you learn something and I come back and I share it with people on Instagram and people are like, oh, that's really cool. I would have never done that before. So something that someone recommended to me when I first started solo traveling was a walking tour. And they're so good. Like a local person takes you around to all of the niche parts of the city and things that people don't often go to. And you just get to see a place that you've gone to in a different light as if you've lived there for many years and whatnot so maybe some way of putting feeling of when you land in a very hot country with your memories from meeting new people in different countries and walking tours some I don't know a perfume a candle or a bubble that is not a drug (laughs) (laughs) it's not a big ass guys I don't know what you're talking about it's not a big ass we can make this happen for sure (laughs) I actually feel like I got a tiny bit of that feeling um, through you recently posted pictures of you going to Florence and for like around a year or so I lived like kind of just on the outskirts of Florence a few years back and like when I see photos I'm just like ah it's such a beautiful city. It is and there's so many nice galleries and everyone's just so joyful and it's peaceful. I need to go back. I'm imagining myself in my little bubble now, my Florence bubble. Okay, so imagining this world where maybe we can transport ourselves back to lovely memories and the education system is better and fairer. What is one thing people listening, I know one thing is like so restrictive, but what is one thing that listeners can do to try and help make that world more possible? I'm going to go back to, I'm trying to think, there's two things I want to say. Okay, I'm going to set you guys some homework. That's what we're going to do. Yes, do it. One thing that I want listeners to do is to get a piece of paper or scrap piece of paper, whatever, the back of a receipt, and write down all of the things that you would like, no matter how absurd they sound, in a world that would make it more just for everybody, whether that person is a high earner, a low earner, marginalised, whatever. Just write it all down. And then think of how you can do one thing each week or each month, depending on how you work, to make that thing a reality. So, for example, if in your local area there is a lot of food insecurity, is there any local groups that you could join just one day a week or being their newsletter person or reach out to spaces and see what it is that you can do? I think as someone who is a volunteer alongside other things that I do, yes, it takes time out of my week, but you are doing work that not very many people are interested in doing anymore. Because I think often a lot of this type of work now, I think people think it needs monetization, which some sides of it does. But unfortunately, things like conservation, planting, that sort of thing often doesn't come with monetization. It doesn't come with some sort of like financial reward or profit from it. And those spaces need people who are genuinely interested and genuinely want to help to help them with whatever time 
they may have in a week or whatever resources they may have to give to them. And that could literally be half an hour reading with a young child at your local primary school to help them get their literacy up, which will help them in future to be a better speaker and to be able to read more radical texts, you know, creating a good future generation. So yeah, that would be my homework task and one thing I want listeners to do. Amazing. I love that. Homework with Fran. And if you go ahead and do it, let us know. Tag us on social media. We want to hear your good ideas and what you're going to do with them. Yeah, I would actually really like to hear that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be so nice. Thank you so much for doing this. This was such like a refreshing episode. Like it was really nice and joyful and had some new ideas that we haven't heard before. So I really like that. Well done with all the work you're doing. I know you've been working hard on this stuff for like a really long time. And uh, it's great to see it like going from strength to strength. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Bye. Thank you so much for listening if you do go ahead and do fran's homework please do tweet the podcast at idealistically p because we would love to know what comes out of that as always please do give the podcast a rating or a view on whatever podcast platform you are able to do it on the podcast recently received a 4.7 rating on spotify but obviously it would be great to get that up to five stars and show that this podcast is worth listening to because it will enable you to imagine a better world I'm actually going to be taking a short break between this episode and the next, so you'll have to wait a little bit longer between this episode and the next. But if you're following along on social media or on your podcast platform, then you shouldn't miss out. And trust me, we've got some really exciting guests coming up. Sound and editing by myself and music by Stowe Gregory. Yes, sir.